0: Amen. Good morning. Let's go. Man, what I love about this series is that it says that the enemy is fighting, but we've already overcome, right? The kingdom of heaven is moving. And how many knows that a kingdom will advance in a time of unrest, right? We don't advance in times of peace. We advance in times of unrest. And so I'm just so thankful for God and the way that the kingdom is moving right now. And so, man, week three, let's go, man, right? Who's excited for what God is doing? So I want to say welcome to those of you online today. If you're joining us, uh, whether on Facebook Live or on the website or later in the week, welcome. Uh, glad you could be part of this today. Um, I just want to take a minute and say thank you to uh, Pastor Josh and Jessica. How many of you are thankful for a bold and courageous pastor? Um, yeah. uh, who's been leading us well, I believe, uh, over the last year through many difficult situations. And, um, man, you guys don't even get to see, uh, I mean, you guys get to see maybe 25% of it, but there's so much, I mean, there's so much contending, so much prayer, so much Effort that that they put in, Pastor Josh and Jess, uh, to lead this to lead this place, guys. And so I'm just so grateful and honored um, that that I get to speak to you today. That they would share this with me. So again, just give them some love, real quick, Pastor Josh and Jess. And um, but man, excited to jump into this today. I'm gonna pray real quick, and we'll get going. So Father God, Lord, we love you, and we thank you. Um, for the opportunity today to worship, to worship freely before you today, God, that we could come into this place and just lift up a praise to you that we can just worship your name. And God, we, I pray that you just uh, anoint my words right now, that they would not be my words, but they are your words, God, and that I am just a vessel to flow through today, God, and that your purpose, your way, and your love would go forth in Jesus' name. Amen. So obviously, you guys don't know me very well. You get to see a lot of Pastor Josh, and so I just wanted to kind of introduce a few things about me to you. Um, like Pastor Josh said, I'm the tech director or technology director here at the church, and so if it turns on, I'm probably responsible for it, And <laughs> and um, but I love it. Uh, uh, I've been able to, I helped uh, my wife and I, Tanya, we helped launch the church many years ago and just so grateful to be part of uh, a part of this church and uh, big thanks to my tech team there in the back holding down the fort today and uh, they've just been amazing doing a great job and uh, if, if you're like me and you can't play an instrument yeah. and you can't sing to save your life but you love the worship experience I want to do a shameless plug here and invite you to join our tech team yeah. we're always looking for more help and people who just love to worship and have fun and go after God and so I'd encourage you to do that I am an Enneagram number one, most of the time. And uh, for any of you who aren't familiar with the Enneagram, it's kind of like a personality test. It kind of helps you to discover who you are. And um, so being an Enneagram number one, I like things in order. I like things on time. I like them in their proper order. I really like proper expectations. I like it when, when we know what's going what's gonna to happen, what's coming, and, uh, and what's expected of you. How many know we get into so many situations that end poorly because of unspoken expectations? You, you get into these places, and maybe it's at work or in life or a relationship, and there's just an unspoken expectation. And you just, something happened. You're like, what happened? I don't know. It, it was just never clearly communicated. And so my personality style really uh, uh, like, kind of argues with unspoken expectations. I just, I see it a lot. (laughs) But um, what I don't like about the Enneagram is so many times people get stuck in wearing their number on their forehead like a label. And they live inside the limitations of what's described by your Enneagram number. And, um, And so. Uh, but I love it. it. It's been such a great tool in my life and, and in the relationship that I have with my wife. And uh, give it up for Tanya, my wife, here. And, um, and uh, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for her. And um, so I, I just love her very much. And, uh, but knowing kind of uh, who we are, Enneagram number-wise, has helped us immensely learn how to communicate, and it, it's just been amazing in our relationship. Uh, a fun thing I just learned about Enneagram number ones is that we have this thing called a reaction formation, and so bear with me, it's going to be a little nerdy for a minute, but that's kind of me. Um, a reaction formation is when you outwardly portray to others the opposite of what you're feeling as a defense mechanism, which I found really ironic for ones because essentially you're lying. You're lying to the people in front of you about the way that you feel. and as an Enneagram One, who's perfectionist, you're righteous, you're, you're lying. It's, it totally goes against your nature to be someone to do that. And so I found it very funny that it's a common thing that, uh, that we can go through, but it can also be a really powerful tool. <laughs> <laughs> if, Enneagram. Enneagram? It is E-N-E-A-G-R-A-M, Enneagram. What's really neat about it, though, is uh, this reaction formation is I found that I would get annoyed with myself when someone would say, hey, Doug, how are you? And I would say, I'm good. Because it wasn't always true. Sometimes I was good, but other times I wasn't. You know. And then I would backtrack. I'm good. Well, I'm not actually good. I'm, I'm okay. This is going on. That's going on. I'd find myself having to explain myself because the inside of me is going, well, that's a lie. You can't be lying right now. You need to tell the truth. Right. <laughs> right? And so I was like, God, how do I... Respond to people in a way that is honest, truthful, brings life, but doesn't get really weird. (laughs) How many know Christian responses can get really weird sometimes, right? Oh, how are you doing? I am blessed and highly favored. It's like, which is true, but that just comes off kind of (laughs) weird. Let's be honest, right? And so I asked God, I said, "What, what can I say? And he reminded me of a hymn that many of you probably know, it's, it is well with my soul. And when the author wrote it, anything but good was going on in his life. He was at a very low moment in his life when he wrote it. And so thinking about that, now if you ask me how I am, oftentimes I'll say, I am well, as a choice. Yeah. I'm well because of Christ my Savior. I'm well because of what he's done in my life. I am well as a choice, and it's honest because I am well. It might not be good. It might be bad today, but I am well. uh, I'm a church kid. I grew up in church, but I've never been more convinced of the necessity for the local church than right now. It is so needed that we have a good, strong body in the community for people to be able to connect to. And I feel like the modern church of America has really done a poor job setting expectations of what it looks like to be a Christian, of what it looks like to be the church. So many times we get into and hear a sermon and it sounds more like a timeshare for heaven. (laughs) Here here you go, come sign up for Christianity. It's easy, right? Just say you love Jesus, you get to go to heaven. And then here's your guaranteed blessings package. If things get hard, just read another Christian self-help book. Everything is going to be fine. Life is good. And then you walk out the doors and life hits. And it's not okay. It's not always good. And people fall away from the faith every single day because the version of Christianity preached to them from pulpits doesn't match with real life. It's bogus. All these bogus expectations that just don't hold up. And so today what I want to do is share three thoughts with you guys uh, of really expectations, right? Of, of things that I've thought of in my life that, that people have shared with me. None of these ideas are original to me, but I found them to be really helpful in just shaping how I perceive how to be a Christian and how to act as the church. So I hope that you guys are going to take some notes today, get out some pens and some paper. Uh, we've got some scripture to get through. It's going to be a really good time. Thought number one is this. The church is a battleship, not a cruise ship. I don't believe that the purpose of Jesus giving his life on the cross was so that we could be comfortable. Yeah, that's right. So I want to describe a cruise ship to you. I'm sure you all probably know what it is, but just listen to this a minute. A cruise ship offers a banquet of programs and shows intended to keep people enthralled and occupied. Passengers can attend if they want, or they can sun themselves on the deck. People go to get away from responsibility, and a cruise provides the ideal environment. I'm not going to lie. That sounds amazing right now. (laughs) Who's ready to go go find some sunshine? I I mean, honestly, we've had a lot of really good sunshine here in West Michigan. It's been a really great winter for that, but it's still been cold and a lot of snow. But the church is not meant to be... A cruise ship. A church is meant to be a battleship. Listen to this. A battleship draws people from contrasting backgrounds and experiences to work together toward a common assignment. In the end, everyone serves a mission that is greater than any particular individual. So what is our mission as a church? Who are we supposed to be? Thankfully, Jesus gave us the Great Commission. We don't have to wonder. In Matthew 28, verse 19, it says, "Therefore go. Come on, let's go, right? We're meant to be people that go. Let's go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit," verse 20. and teaching them that to obey everything I have commanded to you, and surely uh, I am with you always to the very end of the age." Jesus is saying, "Go." Pastor Josh, a couple of weeks ago, when we kicked off the series, <coughs> excuse me, says, "We're in active duty. We're meant to be moving. We're not in the reserves. We're meant to be moving. Christine Cain is quoted saying, Jesus didn't come to make us safe. He came to make us dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. Who wants to be dangerous to the kingdom of darkness? I want hell to shudder when the Christians wake up in the morning because, oh no, here they come again, right? You ever thought about the gates of hell will not prevail against us? Gates are defensive. We're supposed to be active and engaging and moving yeah. Yeah. towards things, not away, but towards. Amen. Thought number two, the church is a hospital for sinners, not a, mu- not a museum for saints. Yeah. Yeah. In James, we find this cool picture of what it's like to be the church. I'm going to read it to you. James chapter 5, verse 13 says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call to the elders of the church, pray over them and anoint them with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. And if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. These are the things we're supposed to be doing in church as the body of Christ, which doesn't necessarily have to be a building, per se and thankful that we get to join together in a building but the body of christ is supposed to be a place where we come together we celebrate we praise we pray we get healed we receive forgiveness by confessing sins to one another pastor josh said this and i really like it he said cute church is over Uh, this place should look like an emergency room Jesus says in, a Matthew, in Matthew 11, 28, he says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Who did Jesus say would come to him? All, right? Who should we expect to see in our doors? All. Who should we be prepared to receive into this building, into this body of Christ? All. Amen. Jesus didn't have an exclusion, and neither should we. Amen. I want you to take a minute and just imagine a museum. Imagine walking through big, beautiful doors into a well-lit space, and there's high windows and beautiful paintings. It's well-lit. There's a nice white marble floor. It's peaceful. There's music in the background. There's people milling about, looking and learning new things. It's a beautiful place to be. It's comfortable. And then a family walks in through the door, very well put together, husband, wife, two children. They're dressed nicely, and they walk in, and they they walk up. They start learning a few things. They get to experience how nice it is inside that museum. And people say hi. People shake their hand. ask them how they're doing. They say they're good. They move along. But no one knows that on the way to the museum that mom and dad were arguing in the front seat, and the kids were in the back crying. And right before they got out, they said, all right, kids, we don't want anybody to know what's been going on. It's okay. Dry your tears, wipe your face. We'll take a minute and let's go inside. Put your smiles on, right, before you go in. Now think for a minute, a person with a gunshot wound who's staggering into a museum, bleeding, bloody footprints on the marble floor. Everybody's going to notice that guy walking in. People are going to come up to him, oh, do you need help? it's very obvious that person has a big problem. Yeah. Now, a hospital is not prepared, or I'm sorry, a museum is not prepared to take care of a gunshot wound. They're very ill-equipped for that. They might help as best as they can, but really their goal is to get you out the door so they can clean up, right? They're not prepared to help someone with a gunshot wound. <laughs> and so I, I, I thought about this idea, and it's just like, <laughs> what if the museum cares more about getting him cleaned up and telling him he can come or telling him he can come back later after he's cleaned up go get cleaned up somewhere else not here we're supposed to be a hospital yeah. not a museum jesus has a stern warning for those who are more concerned with how they look than how they love In Matthew 23, verse 25, Jesus says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and the outside will become clean too. It doesn't matter how polished we are on the outside. God will see our heart. Now, this isn't, to to say that we should neglect our outside bodies, right? We need to take showers and clean up and we need to eat right, right? We need to do all of those things. In 1 Corinthians 6, it says that our body is a temple of God and we are called to steward it well. Those things are important, but we can't get consumed with the outside appearance. Now, prayer and fasting is a great mechanism to help draw us into the things that are on the inside and deny some of the things on the outside. I want you to think for a minute about an ER. How many ER fans do I have out there about Grey's Anatomy, other hospital dramas, right? So get that picture in your mind of this busy, bustling emergency room where people are coming and going and you've got sick people, you've got healthy people, doctors, nurses, you've got gurneys, you've got blood, you've got, it's, it's full of life and action, right? Now, The gunshot wound guy, he comes walking in or crawling in to the hospital, and they're prepared for him. They're expecting that guy to walk through the door. They're not afraid of his mess. They're not afraid of the bloody footprints. They've got a guy with a mop. He's going to take care of that. You don't need to worry about being out of place because you belong there. And we would expect that from an ER. But imagine also then the family. The well-put-together family goes walking into the ER. Someone's going to walk up to them, too, and really ask them, how are you doing? Are you okay? Because in an ER, we're prepared to take care of people. We expect to take care of people. And whether you look like you need it or not, we're going to check and be prepared regardless of the physical appearance. Now think about a church where the wounded and the broken are met at the door with love and compassion. No matter their physical appearance, they're not treated with judgment and contempt. Their walls start to crumble. We're not afraid of their mess. We're prepared for it. So how do we, we, as the church, be prepared to receive all kinds of people into the church? We wouldn't expect a hospital to run on one doctor and one nurse. Yeah, oftentimes we expect the church to be cared for by the pastor and the worship leader. And then everybody else just gets to come and go. But in Ephesians, Paul is teaching us how to act as the church in unity and maturity. He says uh, in Ephesians 4 verse 15, he says, Speaking in truth, speaking the truth in love, Because that's how we should talk, in truth and love, and then love with truth. Those things are not mutually exclusive. You don't get to separate them. If it's not truth with love, then it's not really truth. And if it's not love with truth, it's not really love either. So it says, speaking the truth in love, we will grow and become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ From him, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. If each part isn't doing its work, the team is lacking. The body of Christ that is the church will be unable to grow will be unable to grow in truth and love as we're called to do. Without all of these parts, the church will become ill-equipped ineffective and eventually will become irrelevant. A wounded and broken world is looking for healing, is looking for hope. Most of them don't even know that they're looking for Jesus. How sad if they were to walk through our doors or watch online and only see polished statues and hear stories of old. That's why we're called to the active duty. We're called to go. We're called to be a people on the move. We're called to be prepared as the church. Thought number three is this one. Life is hard, but God is good. Yeah. I, uh, I almost scrapped this point a couple of times, which is kind of ironic because the, the whole sermon kind of comes out of this point. <clears throat> Jesus says, In uh, John 16, 33, he says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. See, when we read scriptures, we don't get the uh, heaven plan. We don't get this idea of like, oh, all of these things are going to be good and great and perfect and full of blessing. There are blessings and there are great things. But more often than not, the scripture says, things will be difficult, but I'm with you. You're not alone. I've overcome the world. But I almost scrapped this point because in many ways, it feels like it disagrees with the sermon series that we're in. It feels like it almost disagrees with the season that we're in as a church, which is miracles and faith and growing and, and things are moving and it's exciting. But wait, things are going to be hard too? Yeah.
1: Sure.
0: Like, how do, we, how do we rectify these feelings of, of faith and the miraculous and expecting great things from God with the feeling of despair and depression when we face death? How do we rectify those things with faith? How do we pray for the miraculous, mustering every ounce of faith that we have, and then we don't get the outcome that we were praying for? How can it be that God is good when it feels so bad? And so as much as I wanted to kind of scrap this point a couple of times, God was like, nope. (laughs) This needs to be talked about because I feel like we don't talk about it. I feel like we don't talk about the the fact that God is good. Yay, life is hard. Hold on. So many times we get pain and confusion, we get questions, we get the why God, right? Tanya, my wife and I, we, we had all those questions a few years ago. We had our, we got pregnant with our fourth child and, um, we had gone to the, uh, gone to the doctor to get the ultrasound and, uh, much to our surprise, there, there was a baby, but there was not a heartbeat when we went to that appointment. And we were shocked. We have three beautiful boys I'm so grateful for. And so when we got to the fourth, we expected, we didn't expect any issues or problems or challenges. And so we got the report that there was no heartbeat. And we started praying for the miraculous. We started praying for life. We started saying, God, you are the God of life. You are not the God of death. We believe that you can bring this child back from the dead. Dead man come out of that grave. We were singing it. We were shouting it. We were praying it. We were pleading with God. But a couple days later, the pain of the miscarriage started. So you have this question, why, God? A few months later, we rallied our courage because we'd done some research and learned a lot about miscarriage, and, and you know, really, miscarriage is very quite common. And we didn't even realize it, we didn't even know. It, it, it's actually quite a bit more common than I think most of us realize, but it's so rarely discussed, especially in the church. There's this stigma that is felt, even more than it's spoken, portrayed to the woman that it's your fault, that you didn't do good enough to keep the baby, that you didn't pray hard enough, that you just didn't have enough faith to save that pregnancy. And then it's implied that the next time, if you do a better job, then that'll be the difference maker. It's frustrating. And so I want to say something. If, if you've experienced a miscarriage, both as a husband or a wife, this is for you, but specifically if you're a woman who's experienced a miscarriage online too, listen to me very carefully. It's not your fault. Okay? It's not your fault. It really isn't. How can you say that, Doug? What's the explanation? How do you know it's not your fault? Guys, I don't have an answer. <laughs> OK, and that's OK. So many times we expect the person in the pulpit to have the answer to every single question that when we come up and we say, hey, why did God do this? Why did God do this? Why did God do that? Why, why God, why? Sometimes we just don't have the answer. We don't know, and that's OK. I wish I had an explanation. I wish I could tell you that we had a successful pregnancy. I wish I could bring a miracle baby up here on stage and say, hey, everybody, this is the child. We had a miscarriage, but then this. I wish I could, but I can't. The truth is we've had several miscarriages. And we don't have any answers why, really. A couple of ideas, but really no answers. I wish we could all just get a warm fuzzy and go home. Yay. But the hard part is, is sometimes we just don't get the answer in life. I'm so grateful for this church. I'm so grateful for the people here who have have come alongside us through the process, who have showed us love in big ways, and small ways. People who said nothing at all, but just came up and gave a knowing hug. who who surrounded us as the body of Christ and showed us love. the men and the mentors who have given me their time and their advice, who picked me up when I was down. And they reminded me that my hope is not in the things of this world, but they are temporary, because this world is temporary. I have a promise that my God is the great Redeemer. I have a promise that all things work together for the good of those who love him. Yeah. Yeah, those things sound great, Doug cool, it still hurts. It still doesn't feel good. And I don't like the way it feels, honestly. And I don't have an answer that satisfies my mind. But Proverbs says in chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Philippians 4, 7 says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I feel like we have to release this idea that God owes us an explanation. Yeah, that's right. See, trust doesn't offer an explanation. It requires faith. Yeah. The peace that we actually seek isn't going to be found in the answer to our question anyway. It's found in trusting God. He loves us so much that he sent his son to die a brutal death so that we could be with him, so that we could have a hope. See, now I know that Jesus died and went to heaven and that he's now with God. And I have hope that my unborn children are waiting for me in heaven. See, the, the, the Bible talks about a, a cloud of witnesses in heaven who are cheering on the good works of the saints, right? I believe that my children are up there cheering us on, saying, keep going. uh, I'm thankful for a God who understands a much bigger picture than I do. Isaiah 46.10 says, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do what I please. God can see the end from the beginning, and he knows the beginning from the end. He's the alpha. He's the omega. He sees it all. It's such a bigger picture. How many? If you're a parent, how many times have you given your child an instruction, or prevented them from something, or kept them from something, or gave them something to do because you knew it was best for them, and they didn't like it? but you knew what was best for your child. And in the same way, we trust our heavenly father that he knows what's best for us, even if we don't understand it. And sometimes if we don't like it. Now, I don't believe that God caused the miscarriage. I don't blame God for death. Okay. We live in a fallen world. And unfortunately, we live in a place where there is sin and there is death, and it does impact us. I think about the disciples on the day after Jesus' death, the day before the resurrection. See, to them, Jesus, the Messiah, who was going to be the king of Israel, who was supposed to kick out the government, who was supposed to make things good here, now, and create peace, just died. He's dead in a grave. Their hope is dead and buried. And this day in between, they're in despair and disbelief. And they don't have a whole lot of hope because their hope just died. Now, Jesus told them multiple times, hey, I'm going to die and I'm going to come back. They're going to tear down the temple and I'm going to rebuild it in three days. He told them, but for some reason, it just didn't connect. They didn't get it. They just weren't understanding the point that he was going to come back. They didn't get it. Until the women went up on Sunday to bring spices to the grave and they found it empty. Jesus had risen. He was no longer there. Their hope is now restored. The the salvation they're looking for has come this moment of joy and then they they take this good news and they run back to the disciples and they tell the disciples and they're like huh it says in luke twenty four eleven, and their words seemed to them like nonsense and they did not believe them jesus said he was coming back and here's the truth and they're like nope we don't believe you. It says, John and Peter raced to the tomb. There was a foot race. It would have been pretty funny to see these guys chasing each other. If you read the scriptures, it even sounds kind of like they may have been like trying to like nudge each other out. One guy get ahead of the other. It says in John 28 that when they arrived at the tomb, they saw and believed. But what I find really interesting is the next scripture that says, for as Yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. In their perspective, all had been lost. But God's purpose will stand. He sees the bigger picture, guys. He sees the whole thing, even when we can't. His ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are greater than ours. And um, it's funny, I wrote this one word in here to kind of end this point, and it's the word mercy. Mercy. See, I I, I feel like we don't always understand in the moment that our not understanding is God's mercy. Because perhaps in that moment, understanding would actually be worse. See, the peace that passes all understanding means that it's beyond our understanding. We don't understand it in the moment. We don't understand it maybe ever. But we have peace in it from God. So I'm gonna invite the band up here a minute because there's a song that, that God laid on my heart for us to worship together. So I'm gonna ask you guys just to kind of put away your notes and get prepared because we're gonna stand in worship in just a minute. But I wanna tell you guys a story about a man who lived in the late 1800s. He was a very successful lawyer. He was a businessman. He had lots of investments. He had properties. He lived in Chicago. Very successful family. He had a wife. He had five beautiful children. And everything was going right. They served in the church. He was a philanthropist. He was actually a uh, contemporary of D.L. Moody and did ministry with D.L. Moody from time to time, if you're familiar with that name. He was a great man of God in the 1800s. And so Horatio Spafford and his wife Anna they lost their four-year-old son in 1871 to Scarlet Fever. They were crushed. And then not even a year later, the great Chicago fires broke out and their business was destroyed. So Horatio pulls himself up by his bootstraps and gets to work. He starts rebuilding his business the best that he can. And a short while later, he, uh, he—he's like our family needs to rest. We need to recover our family. We need to get some healing, and so they planned a vacation to Europe. And on the day that they go to leave, he he—he he has to stay back. He has to stay back to do some business. But he's gonna go. He says, "You guys go ahead, get on the boat, get a head start. I'll I'll be right behind you on the next boat. I just need to wrap up a business deal." And halfway across the Atlantic. His wife, his four daughters are on a boat that is struck by another struck. And their boat sinks in four I'm sorry in twelve minutes. All four daughters are lost to the sea. Only the wife has survived. And she ends up in Europe after she she was rescued. And she telegrams back to Horatio and says, Saved alone, what do I do next? And so he receives this telegram, learns of what has happened, and gets on a boat and takes off for Europe to go collect his wife. And it said that while on this voyage across the same ocean that claimed his daughters, that he penned the song It Is Well With My Soul. I can't even begin to imagine the feelings of loss and pain that he experienced. But to be on that ship and to receive the grace of God in his mourning, then turn to praise. He's just so overwhelmed by the love of God that this song comes out of him. So we're going to take a minute, guys. We're going to stand up all together and we're going to worship this song. Many of you know it. The words will be on the screen. And I just wanted to to minister to you for a couple of minutes. And then I'll get back up and we'll close. So I'd just like to invite everyone to stand. Amen. I love how this song focuses our attention not on our problems, but on Jesus, our, in His sacrifice, our hope. The last verse says, "Our sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious hope, that my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross." Guys, I don't have all the answers, but I have hope. And that hope comes from the cross, and it comes from Jesus. I love that God's purpose, it will stand. That he can see the whole picture. And so I want everybody to just bow their heads and close their eyes. I want to give us the opportunity that if you've never made Jesus Christ the hope of your life, your Savior, if you're online right now, I want to encourage you if you've never experienced the love of Jesus, if you've never had salvation in your life, that this moment is for you. And for everybody else in this room, even, maybe you've prayed this prayer before. Maybe you've, maybe you've dedicated your life to Christ once and you walked away. He's there with open arms welcoming you back, saying, come to me. All who are weary, all who are thirsty, who are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Our rest is found in the peace of Christ, guys. And so we're all gonna pray a prayer together. I'm not gonna embarrass you or make you come forward. But if you know in your heart that this moment is for you, this moment is for you to connect and give your life to God and experience salvation then I want you to pray this out loud and mean it in your heart and salvation will begin for you. So let's all pray this together. Say, God, today I choose you as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins and help me to walk with you all the days of my life. I believe you sent your son Jesus and that he died and rose again for my sins. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 Can we just give a celebration for those? Amen. Amen. So listen, if you prayed that prayer for the first time or the second time or the 50th time today, guys, I want you to know that we're here for you that this is a church and a people who love you and want to join with you in this journey called Christianity. And so one of the ways that you can do that is to, uh, if you're online, you can text that word prayer to the number on your screen. And if you're in this room, you can do the same thing, but also I'd encourage you to join us in our prayer room after service. It's just down the hall past the coffee bar. And we would love to pray with you and give you a book and just come alongside you in this most exciting time, guys. But the book is simple, it's short. And if you're online, we would love to send it to you. Just text into that number. And we wanna partner with you. We wanna help you understand what's next uh, in your walk. So I'm gonna pray one more time and then we'll dismiss. Father God, Lord, we just love you and we thank you for today. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. Lord, we thank you for the peace that passes all understanding. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus, whom you sent to die for us. Lord, we pray that everyone who walked out of this building and hear these words today, whether in person or online, God, that they would be filled with hope, they would be filled with love, and that they would come to know you in a new way. And so I, I proclaim that they are blessed as they go today in Jesus' name. Amen.